Aloha. You are listening to Mark's Gospel of the Servant Savior, a message series from Shorebreak Church. If you have been blessed by this series, please join us in the mission of making disciples by partnering with us in prayer or by giving financially. Partner with us by visiting shorebreakchurch.com. Mahalo. Uh, thank you for making your way to church this morning. My name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we're humbled and thankful to have you guys joining us today on this Lord's Day. Um, we're thankful that you would take your Sunday to be worshiping Jesus with us. And so we pray that you would come to know Jesus if you don't know Jesus, that you would come to receive and believe in the gospel. And that's why we've had you turn in your Bibles too. Mark chapter 9, because we believe that as the Bible is read, God is speaking. And so um, that's something that's, that's, that's really important to us that we hold near and dear. Um, this coming week, it's, it's Christmas. Hopefully you got all your Christmas shopping done. Um, okay, maybe not so much. But for those of you who have not, make sure you get that done. Um, don't save it for Christmas Eve because we have a worship gathering here uh, Christmas Eve this Saturday on December 24th. And so we invite you to come out. We are doing one worship gathering. Typically our attendance drops during this time of year because people are visiting other islands to go see their Ohana or going back to the, or going to the mainland or going wherever or going on vacation. And so uh, we're, we're, we're hoping everyone will fit into one service here on Christmas Eve at 6 p.m. Uh, we will be having Keiki Ministry open, so you can check your Keiki in there, which we're hoping that will make more seats available. But that being said, um, be on mission, be inviting people to church. People are usually receptive during this time of year to come to church. Uh, Sunday, December 25th, which is, of course, Christmas Day, we will be having a day of rest. And so you enjoy, you do life with your family, your friends, or whatever traditions you have on Christmas Day, you can still do those on Christmas Day. And then um, New Year's Day, which is January 1st, we will be having uh, worship gatherings. Just because it's the new year, what a better way to start the new year than God's people gathering together to declaim to declare the glorious gospel of Jesus. And so um, we're going to be gathering on New Year's Day. So same times as always, 8.30 and 10 a.m. on Sunday. And so we look forward to you coming out on those days. So just make sure you get that dialed in on your calendar. If you would now stand for the reading of God's word, Mark chapter 9, verse 2. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. A cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, they, he charged them to tell no one that they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the manner to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead 
might mean. And they ask, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written that the Son of Man, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did, not, and they did to him whatever they please, as it is written of him. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we've gathered, your church, to study your word, but not just to study your word, but to be with you. My words, God, are only words, and, and the pages of the scriptures are only pages if, if you do not, through your spirit, do a unique work in our lives this morning. We pray that we would see Jesus today. And we would have wonder of you. God, would you do a special work as your word is declared so that you would be glorified amongst your people, that it's not about us, but Jesus, that it is truly all about you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. There are events in life that words simply cannot animate something in all of its glory. I remember when I was in junior high, we were invited to go to, with the rest of our family, uh, to go to a, an, an orchestra and it was performing in this massive, huge concert hall. And, and I was in junior high, so I was listening to ska music and alternative rock. So orchestra was not exactly my genre of music. And so I said no, and my family's like, well, you're going anyway. It's one of those things, right? So I'm sitting there, just a punk junior high kid, listening to this orchestra music, not wanting to be there at all. And as I'm listening to this song, I knew this song that was being played. It was Beethoven's Fifth symphony. And I, I'd heard this song quite a few times before, but I had never heard this song in its entirety. And I, I didn't hear it live either. Like I had not actually sat in and listened to it. And as I'm listening to this as a junior high boy, I'm like listening to the song and I like, I begin to weep. I'm not even kidding. Like my eyes filled up with tears and I was emotionally stirred by this song. I'm like, what's happening? Man? I'm trying to hide my face from my family. They didn't see me. I hid it from them, but, it, but I was, the, the artistic, the crescendoing, the, the, the intensity, the, the, from how quiet and soft it went to how uh, crescendo, I just over, it really did overwhelm me, and I was impacted and amazed, and so my grandfather, my papa, he, he was like, hey, Travis, so what did you think at the end of it, and I can say, it was good, it, it, it was good, like, like, what word could I have chosen in that moment that would have adequately described what I emotionally experienced? Sometimes words just don't do it justice, right? They cannot fully capture what's, what's happening. You've had moments in that in your life where you've experienced something or you're trying to describe a picture or an event that happened and, and you just told it, they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, the person you're talking to, they don't get it because they weren't there. 
I remember when I held each of my three boys for the first time, just holding them, and just having tears of joy, just being overwhelmed, having love for this child that I don't even know, yet I love him with a love that is like no other, and I'm just blown away, and, and all I could say was, wow, wow, God. Now, the first time I had a grilled stuffed burrito at Taco Bell, I did say, wow, so you know, like, wow, but it's not the same wow, right? Because words fall short. Words can only capture so much. Words can, words, words only work for, for so much, and then they, they fall short. And those glorious moments cannot be fully animated by language alone. This transfiguration, this story we have here in Mark nine, is one of the most significant events in the life and the ministry of Jesus. It is a well-known story. It is an incredible story. But words alone cannot fully capture the events that have taken place in this story. Words are being pushed to their limits. I'm not saying God's word is inadequate. I'm not saying that. In fact, we believe from Genesis to Revelation that every single verse, every word is inspired by God. We believe that. Scripture is fully sufficient, but words alone without the Holy Spirit breathing life into our dead bones will not do anything. We need God, the Holy Spirit, to breathe wonder and awe into this story that we read on a page. Imagine being Peter, James, and John as this took place. The story reads a little bit more impactful, a little bit differently than if we were just to casually read through it. May God's Spirit breathe into our bones so we would see how glorious Jesus is in this story. Now, now last week we talked, uh, we looked uh, about how Peter began to receive sight, though he was blind. He saw men walking like trees, as it were. And, and, and Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. Peter nailed it. It almost seems like Peter has sight. Peter gets it. It's like, dude, Peter, you nailed it, man. Yes. And then Jesus would go on to tell them at the end of chapter eight, the son of man must be handed over and be crucified. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. So he pulls Jesus aside, takes Jesus and rebukes Jesus, not a good day. And you take God and tell him why he's wrong, right? Rebukes Jesus, and Jesus says what? Get behind me, Satan. Like, I thought, I thought Peter, you were getting it, but then Jesus just called you Satan, so I'm not sure you're told. What's, what, what, what's gone wrong? What is Peter missing? What are the disciples missing? And I would, I would, I would bring it today. What are you and I missing? What are we missing? Awe. Wonder. Maybe you're hoping for some big theological statement, but, but what about awe of God? We all, Peter, James, John, the other nine, and you and me, we all 
lack awe of Jesus. We, as disciples, downplay Jesus. We underestimate Jesus. In fact, it's why in chapter 8, verses 18 and 21, Jesus says, do you not perceive? Do you not yet understand? Do you not see me in my glory for who I am? Because we all underestimate the gloriousness of Jesus. And this is why you and I are given this story. In the midst of not seeing the full glory, the full beauty of who Jesus is, we are given this story so that we would encounter the glory of God and see Jesus in his fullness. Yes, we see through a glass dimly, but through that glass dimly, we see the fullness of Jesus. Amen? Verse 1. I have to go back to verse 1 because verse chapter 8 and chapter 9, verse 1 is the seam between both of those chapters. And verse 1 through Chapters 1 through 8 has been declaring that Jesus is the servant of humanity. Now there's a shift that's happening here in chapter 9 where, where Mark is declaring that Jesus is not only the servant, but he's the savior of humanity. And, and just after Jesus says, if anyone wants to pick, come after me, he must pick up his cross, deny himself and follow me. So it means to be a Christian, to be a disciple. Jesus said, truly I say to you, verse 1, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And some people think that's, that's an event that's going to take place later on within Christianity in the church. Not so. That is actually going to take place in verse 2. The disciples, Jesus is speaking to his disciples that are standing there. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. So pause really quick. This glorious moment of them not tasting death until they see the power of the kingdom of God come is being fulfilled in this story right here where Jesus is going to take the disciples and they're going to get a sample. They're going to experience the power of the kingdom of God come. That's the significance of the story. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. And they appeared to them, Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus crazy. Peter, James, and John. What about the other nine? Jesus invites up Peter, James, and John. And Jesus is transfigured before them. And when they see this Jesus, they see Jesus as glorious. They see Jesus as white, like Clorox ain't got nothing on Jesus' whiteness here. He's so white, so radiant. It's, it's a white and a purity that cannot even be compared to any other earthly whiteness. A radiant intensity. Now, we see Jesus as a man, no doubt. And he is. Jesus here is fully man. But this transfiguration reveals that Jesus is not only a man. He isn't fully man. Jesus is holy. Jesus is pure in glory. Jesus is radiating the glory of God. Jesus' magnificent is ex magnificence is exploding through his humanity, and he is revealing that, yes, he is fully man, but he is also fully 100% God. And if that wasn't enough, 
as Peter, James, and John are watching this all go down, Moses and Elijah show up. And our boys, they're tripping here. I mean, they are like, what? Are you kidding me? They're amazed. They're perplexed. They're terrified. And Peter, of course, is losing his mind because when all those things happen at the same time, you lose your mind. And I love what happens. He has to say something. You know the person who always just at the worst moment has to open their mouth? Peter. That's our boy Peter. In fact, look at verse 6, if you will. Tell me this isn't funny. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Yet verse 5 says, and Peter said to Jesus. Come on, Peter, really? Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Peter. I got an idea, Jesus. Rabbi, I got an idea. Let's just do this right now. We're going to build three tents. Now, it doesn't do it justice. The original word in that language for tents is actually tabernacle. We're going to build three worship centers. We're going to build three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, and we're just going to do life here. And as he was speaking, uh, Matthew tells us, God says, shut up, Peter. That's the Bible remix version. That's not actually what he said, but it's close. As Peter's like, it's good that we are here. Let's just, let's just, we're gonna build a tent for you. And, and God comes down, the glory of God comes down, and God speaks and says, as Peter was speaking, God says, Listen to my son. And then Peter, if he wasn't terrified enough, is terrified because God the Father is telling him to shut up and listen to God the Son. It's a crazy moment. And verse 6 or verse seven, and a cloud overshadowed them. A voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Hmm. Amazing. Yet, Peter, how does he start off this conversation? He sees Jesus transfigured like he's never seen him before. They've seen Jesus walk on water. They've seen Jesus heal those who were dead and raise them back to life. They've seen Jesus do incredible miracles like calming the storm, yet they've never seen Jesus like this. But Jesus in this glorious moment refers to Peter as what? Rabbi? Peter. Rabbi? Like, I don't think a rabbi is ever transfigured and had this rabbi. Peter refers to Jesus as rabbi and in him desiring to build three temples, three tabernacles, what he is doing, maybe, you, maybe we don't realize it right off the bat, off the surface, but he is treating Moses and Elijah as equals with Jesus. When did Moses and Elijah get a tabernacle? They're not God. Jesus is God. Yet Peter says, no, no, we're going to build a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And what he did is the propensity of us all. Not only do we underestimate Jesus, but in underestimating Jesus, we lift things of other importance equal to Jesus, or maybe even we make those things greater than Jesus. And they can be good things. Hear me, good things. Moses and Elijah are pretty good guys. Last time I checked in the Bible. 
But anytime we take a good thing and make it a God thing, we are idolatrous and we are not worshiping Jesus, but we're worshiping something else and we're beholding other glories when we should be holding the glory of God. It could be family, it could be friends, it could be Christmas, it could be a haunt. I mean, whatever you fill in, we have to be very careful because God will not share his glory with another. He won't. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will not give to another nor praise to other carved idols. God must be glorified because he is God. And if God is to give praise and give glory to something else, then, then that means the thing is God. But because he is true and because he is glorious and because he is God, he is required by his own nature to demand all creation to praise him. Which means he cannot share his glory with another. He will not do that. And our hearts, though, though that is true, our hearts are prone to pursue other glories other than Jesus, right? Guys, you know one of the most difficult things is having to be a pastor and preach on something that I lack. I lack all. My heart pursues other glories. But this story reveals Jesus does not want to be a footnote in our life. Jesus is not an appetizer. Jesus is not something we, like, okay, well, here in Hawaii, we like the idea of, culturally, we like Jesus, we also like Buddha, and we also like, you know, and so we kind of have this convoluted understanding of religion, and, you know, if I just slap a little bit of Jesus in my life, then I'm good. I'm cool with him. But Jesus won't have that, because he will not share his glory with another. Jesus has no place being second in our lives. Beware of areas you underestimate Jesus and where you allow your heart to get caught up in other glories. And where God the Holy Spirit reveals your idolatry, confess and repent those sins. And as they were coming down the mountain, verse 9, he charged them to tell no one. Why? It's just so that first, that he would not be persecuted that he would not be crucified at a time of which God had not appointed, which, of course, it wasn't going to happen because he was God, but he's obviously God, so he has control over those things, so he tells them to tell no one. And also this, the transfiguration should not be talked about until after resurrection. If you have transfiguration without resurrection, there's no, there's no hope. Full Transfiguration is only fully realized and understood when we, when we see our risen Savior crucified and raised. So they kept this matter to themselves. Verse 10, questioning what rising from the dead might mean. They understood that there was a resurrection of all the people of God were going to, to rise again at the great resurrection, but they did not see that there was a singular resurrection that was going to take place first with Jesus. And they, and they asked him, verse 11, why did the scribes say first that Elijah must come? He said to them, Elijah does come to restore all things. And how it is written, the Son of Man, that he should suffer many things to be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come. They did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. So here they're asking a qualification of Jesus. 
which the scribes, the religious leaders at that time, some of the religious leaders at the time were asking. Where's Elijah? We know that before the Messiah comes, there should be Elijah. And Jesus said, Elijah has come. Which did Elijah come? He did. And the spirit, John the Baptist was in the spirit of Elijah preparing the way of the Lord. That's how the disciples understood it. But many people did not see John the Baptist as Elijah. In fact, some of the Pharisees thought Jesus was Elijah. Getting this all mixed up. But see, we're talking about prophets now, right? So now we, we're talking about all these prophets. We're talking about Moses, we're talking about Elijah, and we're talking about John the Baptist. But they're only prophets. Yet people often get caught up in prophets and get caught up in these spiritual characters, missing the point of what the prophet exists for. Prophets, they declared the word of the Lord. They did amazing works on behalf of the Lord. Prophets called people to worship God. They made straight the, they made straight the way of the Lord. Prophets existed solely to point people towards God, yet Jesus is greater than all of them. That's the distinction that is being made here. As they're coming off the mountain, they're wondering, well, where's Elijah? And Jesus is like, I'm greater than Elijah. And Elijah's come. His, his name is John the Baptist, and here I am. I'm greater than him. Because prophets, they, all of them were pointing to me. Now this story here is actually paralleling another story. It's paralleling Mount Sinai in the Exodus where Moses is on the mountain. You guys know the story, right? Moses is on the mountain. He wants to encounter the glory of God. He wants to be with God. And on that mountain, God says to Moses, if you experience my glory, you are going to, I'm, my glory is so incredible and raw and untamed that, that if you were to experience my glory, you'd be incinerated because you're a sinful man. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to take off your slippers. You're going to hide behind the rock and my presence will pass by. Right? And what, and what happened? He glowed after that. So the presence of God passes by and he glowed. But was he the embodiment of God's glory? No, he was only a reflection of God's glory. Just like the, 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 the moon itself does not carry any light. It is simply a rock that is reflecting the source of light, which is the sun. And Moses is simply a moon. He's simply a reflection. Yet, isn't it interesting that they built a tabernacle later on at the bottom of Mount Sinai? Because that's where the glory of the Lord showed up to Moses. See, Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is uniquely distinct from Moses because Jesus, just like Elijah and other prophets, Jesus does not point us to the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus isn't, he is a prophet, but he isn't only a prophet. Jesus is also a king. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He is ruler. He is God over all things. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, guys, I, I want to draw this full circle. I want us to understand and see how this is coming full circle here now. Hebrews 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also created the world. The son speaking of Jesus. And here it is, Hebrews 1, 3. Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the power of his word. That's Jesus. See, Jesus is not simply a person pointing you and me to worship God. Jesus is God, and Jesus is worthy to be praised. Jesus, as Christians, he is our object of worship, and him alone. All other religions are different than Christianity in this specific area. This is what alone separates Christianity from all the other religions. All other religions, they have prophets, many of them, messiahs, angels that point to worship of God. But as Christians, we believe Jesus is the secret to worship. We are the ones who worship our follower, where all the others, they have to follow the one whom they worship, but we worship Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life in John 14, 4. No one can come to the Father but by me. The exclusivity of Jesus is not selfish, though, because, again, when we understand that he is most glorious and and he cannot share his glory with another, it is only loving, it is only kind, it is only gracious, it is only generous that Jesus would ever invite Peter, James, and John up into the presence of God at the Mount of Transfiguration or that he would even make it possible that we could know how to come into relationship with him. See, Jesus is the object of worship. He is the embodiment of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, the radiance of God's glory. That is Jesus. In fact, didn't Jesus say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? I and the Father are one. Jesus is to be exclusively worshiped. That's what we see here. He is the key to worship. So, so remember, let's go back to Mount Sinai since this, this story in Mark 9 is paralleling the story of Mount Sinai. Remember when Moses was having this conversation with God on the mountain, speaking through the burning bush and the glory of God descended upon the mountain as what, a cloud? And Moses had to hide behind a rock or else he would die. Verse 7 a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. Here it is, the Shekinah glory of God coming down and making another appearance. Do the disciples die? Moses had to hide behind a rock, otherwise he would die. They're not hiding behind a rock, but are they dead? No. Why not? Because Jesus is with them. Jesus is their representative. Jesus is the rock of ages they are sheltered in that protects them 
from the raw glory of God that would otherwise incinerate any sinner who is not worthy to be in the presence of God. But Jesus is our substitute. He is the rock of ages from which we hide behind and enjoy the presence of God. It's not the own, our own righteousness, but it's the righteousness that has been given to us by Jesus. Can we ever be in the presence and the glory of God without being incinerated? Jesus is there, and he is the mediator between God and man. But what I love is, listen, they, they did not just die, did they? They worshiped God, and they enjoyed God. Listen to me. Christianity is not just about not dying and going to hell. Christianity is, by definition, being in the presence of God and worshiping him and glorifying him. I mean, you can't blame Peter. He, he wanted to keep that moment going on forever. And what I love here is, is, is God the Father says about God the Son, look what he says, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And so what you have here is the Trinity. You have the holy dance of the Trinity where God the Father is beloving his Son. The Son is beloving the Father and the Spirit is there and the presence of the cloud and you have the Trinity doing the holy dance where they glorify one another and amongst the glorification is love, is joy. And when the disciples are there with them, yes, after they're terrified, they just want to worship God because to be in the presence of God, to be with God is to be in the fullness of joy. And the only way we can be with God, loved by God, in the presence of God is when we are with Jesus. Because Jesus is the supreme expression of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And what I love here, I want to draw your attention to this in verse 8. And suddenly, looking around, they saw, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. God speaks to them. Peter makes a statement. We need to build these tabernacles. God says, listen, this is my beloved son. He falls in fear on his face. And then as they begin to look up, they only see Jesus. when you've truly experienced the glory of God, you will be captivated by Jesus and him alone. There's a lot of people who like to talk about a lot of supernatural spiritual experiences in our neighbors, and our communities, at our workplace. When you've truly experienced the glory of God, you see Jesus only. Because it's all about Jesus. And even when you see Jesus only, listen, your struggles will be there. You will still have struggle. You will still have pain. You will still have wounds that are throbbing of which sins people committed against you are sins that you've committed yourself and you're dealing with the ramifications of those sins. 
But those things are nothing in comparison to the glory that is going to be revealed. See Jesus only. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us in Christ Jesus. What you have gone through, what you will go through, and what you presently are going through is not even in comparison. It's not even worth comparing to seeing Jesus. So let me ask you, what glory has captivated your heart this morning? Has the awe of God shaped your life? Like, has the glory of God changed your life? Notice I'm not talk, we're not talking about just having right intellectual understanding. Has the glory of God shaped you as a person and forever changed and altered your life? Christianity is seeing Jesus' glory as our greatest need and desire. That's what Christianity is. Seeing Jesus as our great, his glory as our greatest need and desire. And when you see Jesus' glory, it will terrorize you. It will. The disciples were terrorized. No one is big in the presence of God. But this Savior showcasing his glory is a, a Savior who is also a servant who will, brought be, will be brought low to the lowest point. He will become, here is the most whitest, beautiful thing in all creation. Soon he will be the darkest, ugliest thing in all creation. He will take our sin upon our cross and die our death. so we could be in the presence of God. And just, and it's not so we would just not die, but do you see God inviting you into the joy there is in the Trinity when we worship God? You're invited in to worship. You're invited into the joy there is in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that begins by being amazed by Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I, I and we acknowledge our lack of awe for you. Even in this moment, my heart is thirsty for you and we know, we acknowledge, we need you. So would you help us, Lord? Would you awaken in our souls a desire restoring to us the joy of our salvation that we would not just be complacent 
May our hearts, by your Spirit, be captivated by your glory afresh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please visit shorebreakchurch.com to stay connected or to share your story.